We've been going through a series on on First uh, John, and and it's really neat sometimes when God aligns uh, our service. And I mean, every service God breathes on. I'm thankful for that. But you know, Pastor JC was talking about you know how can we trust God? We need to trust God. And and today that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, we live in an age of diverse opinions and beliefs. And although I think that there was a diversity of opinions and beliefs in the world 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the, the ability for us to be face-to-face with all these different beliefs, I think, has never been greater. And so we, we lived, you know, you, you can look at the news, whichever news outlet you, you subscribe to, right? We have a polarized political landscape. We've got wildly biased news outlets, and I'm I'm not talking about this one or that one. I mean, they've all got their bend. Um, And and if you read online or or you talk to friends, you know, we've got these echo chambers of people who have a similar opinion, whether you're talking about uh, politics or policy or you're talking about religion or you're talking about uh, homemaking or you're talking about, you know, do I eat meat or do I not eat meat or do, do you know, am I, do I go this way with this diet or do I do, do this with this health? There's all kinds of, everyone has an opinion and everyone is sharing. <laughs> and the question that we have to answer is really, who can you trust? Who can you trust? And while I'm not going to land on a, a uh, news outlet that you should trust, I think we are going to land on someone that we can trust. John's been working in this letter to make the argument that you can trust in Jesus Christ. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your future. You can trust him to deal with your sin. You can trust him to connect you with God the Father. You can trust him to give you eternal life. You can trust him with everything. You can trust him for everything. And today, John, as he's finishing his letter, is going to remind us again that you and I, we can trust Jesus. So we're going to read out of 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. If you could stand with me as we read the word of God together. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water alone, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Father God, I I pray that by your spirit, you you would increase our trust in your son, Jesus Christ. 
Father, I pray that you would increase our trust in your son who is righteous, that you would increase our trust in your son who is the propitiation for our sin, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, who takes away our sins and pays the penalty for it. God, I pray that you would increase our trust in Jesus to be the purpose for which we live. God, I pray that you would increase our trust in Jesus as the one who who directs and appoints our future. God, I pray that you would increase our trust in Jesus Christ as the one to whom we devote our lives. God, I pray that you would increase our trust in Jesus today. God, do what you do through 1 John. Would you seal this book as we come near the end of it? Seal its message in our soul. Help us now as we we study your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, it's a simple message. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. And the reality is, while there are nuances and unique characteristics to Christianity, by and large, the message itself is fairly simple. You can trust Jesus. And so we're going to see in verses 6 through 12 that you can trust him because he has been baptized and crucified. And that might sound a little, what does his baptism and crucifixion have to do with anything? But, but we're going to see that John's original audience, they, they keyed in on something there. There was something about Jesus' baptism and his crucifixion that, that led to greater faith and belief in Jesus and what he said. You can trust him with with those things. You can trust him because God says so. And and we live in an age where for me to say something like, God says so to you is is offensive. Well, I mean, you can tell me what your opinion is, Pastor Eddie, but don't try to impose some sort of uh, uh, impartial, outside me, objective truth. Well, God says so, and we're going to see that. And you can trust him because... And you can trust him to give you eternal life. You can trust Jesus because he's baptized and crucified. You can trust him because because God has said so. And you can trust him to give you eternal life. Those are the three things that we're going to talk about today. You can trust him because he was baptized and crucified. He says in verse 6, This is he, talking about Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. Pause. Why is he talking like that? You know, it, it, I, I looked, and in, in 1 John, he doesn't actually refer to baptism and crucifixion as, as water and blood, but we can kind of assume just from the, the, the sim- symbolism that, that baptism represents and, and the fact that blood is, is spoken about when it talks about his crucifixion in the Bible, that he's referring to these two things. He's talking about Jesus' baptism and his crucifixion. And, and John is saying, because we've seen something significant in his baptism, and because we've seen something significant in his crucifixion, we can trust Jesus to be everything he says he is. And now, part of what John is doing, again, is he is addressing some false teaching. 
So I want to bring some context to this. He's addressing some false teaching. There were these teachers who were saying things about Jesus that, sure, maybe he was a great teacher, but, but not the Son of God, not the anointed one, the Messiah. And so it's very possible that they believed a, a, a heresy of the time, a teaching that, that falls out of line with the gospel, that, that at his baptism, Jesus, he, he was uh, endowed with the, the spirit of Christ, but that that spirit left him before he was crucified, so, so that only a man died, not the Son of God. That's the false teaching. Don't, don't go away believing that. <laughs> and... Jesus, uh, John is saying, no, 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 this is the one who became by water and blood, and then he goes on to say, Jesus what? Christ. Not Jesus, but Jesus the Messiah. And he, he says this, not by water only, but by water and blood. And see, he holds these two truths. At Jesus' baptism, the Father testifies that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. If you go back to John... I'm going to read out of John chapter 1. You don't have to go there right now, but John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. John, the same, the same writer, says this. The next day, he saw, talking about John the Baptist, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. If you can imagine, Jesus is approaching his cousin, John, and, and John... He recognizes him. This is the one I've been talking about. The one who's, who's he, he's, he's before me. He's, he's higher. He's got a greater rank because he was before me in creation. The, he, this is the guy I've been, I've been testifying to. He says in verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So his whole ministry was in preparation for Jesus. Jesus. He says, I, I, I didn't know what he was going to look like, what it was going to sound like, but, but here he is. And John bore witness. John bore witness. He testified. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, talking about God, God said to him, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is what? The Son of God. So Jesus, who was baptized, in his baptism, God says, this is the Son of God. You want to know who you can trust in your life? You can trust the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? Jesus, who was baptized. It says in Matthew chapter 3, if we were to look at Matthew's gospel, that not only does does John testify, but God himself speaks. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, or 17 rather. Behold, talking about as Jesus is being baptized, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father says, this is my son. He identifies his Son, and so we see that we can trust Jesus because he is identified as the Son of God, the one who, who has everything we need. He's been identified at his baptism. But not only does his baptism testify that Jesus is the Son of God, but so does his crucifixion. In John chapter 19, 
It says this in verses 31 through 37. John chapter 19, verses 31 through 37. Here we go. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross. This is at, at the crucifixion, Jesus has died. So that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Okay, so when you're crucified, you die of asphyxiation because you become so weak, being held up, that your, your, your chest compresses and your lungs, they um, collapse and, and you die that way. So in order to, to but you, what you do is you push yourself up to try and breathe. So what they would do to, to, to speed up the process is they'd break their legs so that they could no longer keep their, their selves up and they would quickly suffocate. So they're saying, hey, we need to deal with these bodies. Please, let's speed this process up. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who were being crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. Again, that language, borne witness. His testimony is true, and he is telling the truth that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled and not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And so we see in, in the, the gospel of John, again, John is talking about this, this centurion, this Roman soldier who goes and they, they break the legs of one thief, they break the legs of another thing, they, they, they come to Jesus and he's already dead. But just to make sure, he, he pierces his side and, and you see uh, water and blood come out, which means that his his heart was surrounded by water, and it all comes out. He is dead. He is dead. And again, if we go to Matthew, we get a bit more detail. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and following. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he quotes Psalm 22. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded his spirit. So he dies. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn, from torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. We don't talk about that often, but people were raised from the dead at Jesus' death. Side note, that'll preach. Um, <laughs> when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, and what took place, they were filled with awe and said this, truly this was what? The Son of God. Truly this was the Son of God. John has been arguing over five chapters. Family, church, believe me, Jesus is the Son of God. 
Believe no other gospel. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the chosen one. He's the one through whom God's blessing and his eternal life and all of these things come. Look at his baptism. Not just the, the, the perfunctory act of being baptized, but look at what that signified. Look at what the Father did in that moment. And for them, this was not something that were, where they're reading a book and they're thinking, oh, maybe that would happen. That's interesting. No, J- John is speaking and, and probably some of the, the people who, who, who are listening had interacted with people who had been there. This wasn't just, this was like, talk to your Uncle Frank. He was there. When he says the water, they're saying, oh yeah, that baptism thing. Yeah, my uncle was there, my cousin was there, my friend was there. That was crazy. The, the heavens spoke and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then at the crucifixion, Again, they're they're there, and he's reminding them. Or maybe if they weren't there, they had heard about it, not not just from a pastor who's speaking 2,000 years later, but but from people who had been eyewitnesses. Yeah, I I was there. It was crazy. You know, they they broke the legs of the two guys, and and then they went, and, and Jesus was already dead. So they, you know, he died, and the earth quaked. I mean, I was getting thrown around. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. We had one a few years back. I was working in Chantilly, and it was, it was weird because this is Virginia. This isn't California. And so at first I was like, maybe they're just doing some work downstairs? I don't know. And literally I'm looking at Pastor Corey, and we're like, this is, what's going on here? And then we're like, oh, no, quick, let's stand in a door jam. And then it's still happening. We're like, you know what? I think we can get outside. We should just go outside. Let's go outside. But it, it, it was a, a, a dynamic, unforgettable, visceral thing. And, and John says, remember the crucifixion. So many visceral things happening. People being murdered. Blood being shed. Earthquake. And he says, you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus because he is the Son of God. Not only this, he goes on and he talks more about how we can trust him because God, because God has spoken about it. But before we get there, Jesus is our righteousness and our salvation. If we look at his baptism, we see that, that Jesus fulfills all righteousness. If we were to go back to Matthew chapter 3, We see that at the baptism, Jesus has this conversation with with John the Baptist. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, "I, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? How many of you, what would you do if Jesus comes to you and says, hey, can you baptize me? No. I mean, respectfully... I think you might be confused, Jesus. I don't know what to do in this situation, Jesus. I don't want to tell you no because that's a disobedient thing. At the same time, I feel like you should be doing the baptizing. He would have prevented I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus says this, let it be so now, for this, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You know, one of the things that the prophets of the Old Testament would do in preparation for God's redemptive work is they would begin to repent 
on behalf of the people. You see this over and over again, that, that in the Old Testament, one of the things they would do to try and usher in God's blessing was to come before God and say, God, we have sinned and we repent. And what is one of the first things that Jesus does to fulfill all righteousness? He goes and he participates in a baptism of repentance. Have you ever wondered why did Jesus get, he has nothing he needs to repent. He, he doesn't need to be baptized, right? That's for people who need to trust in Jesus that's for people who need to be cleansed. He doesn't need to be cleansed. But what he's doing, he's saying, I'm standing in the place of my people, identifying with their sin so that all righteousness might be available to them. He's fulfilling all righteousness. At the core of the good news is the fact that you and I are deeply affected by sin. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We, we are born sinners and we live as sinners. No one says, you better sin. It's, it's the lollipop that we all see on the floor and we pick up and put in our mouths. No one has to tell us. We're like, I'm going to eat that. We're sinners by nature and choice. We break God's law more often than we can imagine. We lie. We desire what we, what we, what's not ours to have. We hate our brother. We hate our coworkers, our neighbors. Just a few, We gossip. We... Any number of things. I'm, if, you're, if you're in this room, you've got some things where you're like, oh, yep, there's that and that, even though you're smiling and you look wonderful and I'm so glad you're at church. There's no amount of doing right that you and I could ever do that would cover over those sins. That would be like me trying to go to my trash. You know, we were out of town a few weeks ago and we had some trash. And you know, there's, there's a transformation that happens in a week's time to your trash. It really blossoms. <laughs> and, and I had to take some things out before the trash came, and there was a new, unique smell in those cans. And, and I could get whatever sort of, you know, drugstore counter perfume and just douse it, the trash in, in, in that, and it would smell like fancy trash. It would still smell like trash. I would not have removed the stink and the stench of death. And that's what it looks like when you and I try to dress up our sinful selves in our quote-unquote good works. I love you, family, but we're just stinky trash dressed up nice. And I mean that in the most loving of ways that you can call someone <laughs> stinky trash. But the point is that there's no amount of doing right that could cover up our wrong. We need someone who could fulfill all righteousness. One of the reasons that John is so adamant that we understand that Jesus is the Son of God is because he can take away the stench of death. He can take away the stench of rot. He can save us from our sins. He's righteous, but not only is he righteous, he bears the weight of our sin on the cross. John puts, or not John, Paul puts it pretty succinctly in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He talks about this ministry of reconciliation, that, that God reconciles us to himself and we're called to, to reconcile others. You and I, were called to be on mission to reconcile people to Jesus Christ. Tell them about the gospel. And he, he reflects on this and he says this in, in 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, for your sake and my sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In, in, in the crucifixion, Jesus is treated as the worst of sinners. He, he is treated like a horrible criminal. Imagine the worst possible, you know, if, I, I would be more explicit if there weren't little people in the room, but just imagine the worst possible criminals that you can think of. That's how Jesus was treated. That's how he was looked upon. That's the wrath that he had to endure. The inkling of anger that you might feel over injustice, God had a sea of it. And he poured it out on his son so that you and I could receive this this status of righteous, that we might be able to be treated as though we were righteous. Jesus is both our righteousness and our salvation. And in all of this, the Holy Spirit is at work bearing witness in our hearts. He says in verse uh, 6, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. The Holy Spirit is, is the person, and he ministers this truth to our heart. This is why salvation is a, it's a spiritual reality, because God has to work in our heart. It's a miracle, because he has to do something, and he brings to bear this truth and opens our spiritual eyes so that we see that it's true. We see that we can trust Jesus. Now, if you're reading the, the King James Version or the, the New King James Version, there are a couple different versions of the Bible that, that use manuscripts that were not as old or uh, honestly as trustworthy as, as most other translations use. So you might see some additional stuff. And basically what happened is there were scribes who were reading these manuscripts of the Bible, these copies of the Bible, and they were saying, well, you know, also this. And it was, it was written in the margin and then later incorporated so if you're reading a New King James Version right now and you're like, or if you memorize that as a kid and you're saying, Pastor Andy, what's that about? That's what that's about. That's what that's about. But, but we can trust that what it says here is true, that, that God, the Spirit, the, the water of baptism and, and the blood that was shed on, on the cross, these things testify to the fact that Jesus is trustworthy. Ultimately, the question of whether we receive the gospel is whether... Uh, a question of whether we'll believe God or not. And, and at this point, John is exclusive. He says in verse, verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Talking about God, made out God to be a liar because he does not believe the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Family, friends, Jesus is the only way. And we, again, we live in a culture that is happy to say that there are a lot of ways, your way is good, my way is good, let's do all these things. And, 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 and having a, a, this idea that all perspectives are valid, that's fine when you're talking about ice cream. You, got, you like Rocky Road, I like chocolate, nobody likes vanilla, because why? I'm just kidding, some people like vanilla, it's fine. Neither of us 
Though we jest, though we joke, neither of us is more right than the other. You like pistachio, you like butter pecan, that's fine. Cookie dough, there we go. Is that ice cream or is that baking stuff? I don't know. It's fine with other things, right? right? I imagine many of you are, are woeful fans of the Washington football team. You know, it's, it's this, this heartbreaking relationship that just never comes... To, it's telling the things that I'm getting amens about now. And another, uh, we have a pastor at, at our Chantilly location, a Latino pastor, and, and he's into Euro, Euro football. And, and for those, who, that's, with, that's, that's soccer for us Americans. The rest of the world calls it football, but we call it soccer. But at the end of the day, joking aside, your perspective, my perspective, sure, whatever. But when it comes to things of ultimate significance, neither Jesus nor John hold all perspective equally valid. John says that if we believe the testimonies of men, we should surely believe the testimony of God. And he is not talking about whatever God you want to bring to the table. He's talking the God of the Bible revealed in the 66 books. Jesus himself testifies that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He says this in verse 6 of chapter 14 of John. John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's offensive language in our culture. Pastor, you tell me that, that there's only one way to Jesus and it's through this, there's only one way to God and it's through this Middle Eastern guy? And, and what if I was, you know, born in another place or, or what, what if I, I don't, what if I was born into a, another family or what if, what if I, I don't know, but if we, if we take this seriously, family, then we have to recognize that the gospel is exclusive now, here's the thing. John isn't trying to be exclusive because he's a jerk. He's not trying to be exclusive because he wants to create some sort of club and you guys are out and we're in. He's spent five chapters after having spent, what, 21 chapters in, in the book of John trying to explicate the gospel, saying, please, come in. The world wants to invite you to a party that isn't a party. Everybody come to my party. You get there Everyone's burning. It's not a party. It's kind of a bummer. We're giving invitations to whomever we can give an invitation to. This is why it's so important for us to share the gospel. Because there is an urgency about this. But we can't overcome that urgency by saying, you know what, everyone's good. Um, however you want to come to God. Maybe God isn't even, however you want to address spiritual issues. Family, there is an objective truth. There is an exclusivity to the gospel. And we're totally cool with objective truth when it comes to our, our, our paychecks. You're not, you're not having this, you know, what's, what's 2,000 to you, employer? 2,000 to me is 4,000. We're not having, there's a very clear, this is what it is. I can show you in pennies. I can show you in nickels. I can show you in dollar bills. This is how much it is. The reality, family, is just because it's not tangible, something we can taste, touch, see, hear, smell, doesn't mean it's not objectively true. 
And John is very specific about this, and I'm belaboring this point because John is belaboring this point, and we have to hold on to it that the gospel is exclusive. The moment we begin to say, you know what, is the moment we invite people to their damnation. And so he labors, and he says, you need to listen to God. I don't mean to offend, but if you're offended by God and his rules, you're going to be offended by the gospel. We can trust Jesus if we take God's word seriously. And what can we trust him for? We can trust him for eternal life. He says in verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son does not have life. Again, it's, it's real simple. Do you want to have life? And trust in the Son of God. Do you not want to have life? Then don't trust in the Son of God. Do you want to live the life that you were created to live? Not the life that you want to determine on your own, but the life that, that the author of all creation has said, this is what I want you to do. Then trust in Jesus. Do you want to live a life? You and I, we're, we're, we were made for so much more than 80 years and then nothing. I mean, that's, that's part of the tragedy of, of the postmodern world that we live in is this lie that, again, we're, we're just going to try and get what we can here and now because everything is material. And if I, can't, if I can't taste it, touch it, see it, smell it, feel it, if I can't experience it in that way, then it isn't real. And therefore, the only reality I know of is the one that's right in front of me. And therefore, I'm going to live in a carpe diem, seize the day. And Paul says it in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about the gospel. Or maybe it's 2 Corinthians. It's Corinthians 15, one of the two. And he talks about the gospel and he says, hey guys, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, hey, let's party. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we may die. He did rise from the dead. And so your life is intended to exist beyond 80 years. You've got a purpose that, that I mean, imagine the kind of legacy that you could have. The, the kind of, you, you don't know what, what, what sharing your, the gospel with your Uber driver will do in five years, 10 years, and then into eternity. Maybe a person who was on the road to death and hell and condemnation all of a sudden gets to experience life eternally with the Father. This is eternal life. We were made for more. C.S. Lewis says it this way. If you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he was a, uh, a famous theologian and a writer. He wrote the Screwtape Letters and uh, Chronicles of Narnia, not the movie, the book, or books. And he says it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And, and here's the picture he gives. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Family, the danger in reading this is to say, okay, 
eternal life. Ba-boom. That's, that's, a, that's a speed bump. What is eternal life? What does that look like? Like, it's not just, oh, I don't get to, I'm not going to go to hell. No, but God has a plan, and, and there's a reality that's going to be longer than, you know, I used to measure everything by, um, I used to measure everything by, by um, high school. So when I got married, I was married for one year, I was like, that's eh, like freshman year. Two years, three years, four years, four years, I was like, man, we've been married a long time, because high school felt like forever. Then, then we were married for eight years, and I'm like, my, what is going on? And we just celebrated 15 years. I've been married longer than I was in school, by the grace of God. Ask my wife. And, and we, we don't have, you know, I, my perspective of what time looks like has changed. And family, the same thing is true of eternal, we, we measure 80 years, and we're like, that is forever. No, family, forever is forever. 80 years is 80 years. Ah. 80 years is 80 years. No worries. Just looking at the... Okay. That's my cue to wrap it up. All right. Um... The reality is, family, you and I, we, we can trust Jesus. But not only can we trust, we must trust Jesus. We must trust Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other name under, under heaven by which we can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But when we come to him, when we trust in him, we receive righteousness, salvation, and eternal life. And I, I, would, I would just challenge you would, you, would you go and, you, and meditate on that, this idea of eternal life? Would you maybe look in the Bible, read a couple commentaries, maybe go to Bible Hub. Don't just Google eternal life because you'll get weird stuff. But, but just think about what that looks like. If, if you struggle with this and you're like, eh, not super compelling. It's probably not compelling because you haven't thought about what eternal life looks like. But when we get a taste of, of the, the future that God has for me, this hope of glory that Paul talks about, this hope of, of experience the, experiencing the glory, the light, the splendor, the majesty, the wonder, the awesomeness of God, and being in his presence forever, that, that will change and transform how you do everything. You can trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, help me to trust Jesus. Lord, when I, when I fail to trust you, when I, when I try to trust my own abilities, when I try to trust other things, Lord, help me to trust him to be my righteousness. Help me to trust him to be my salvation. Help me to trust him to be the source of eternal life for me. Lord, help me to keep my perspective right. I pray that you would help us as a people to, to be a people who, who live in light of eternity, who receive eternal life and live in light of eternal life. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a great day to do that. If you're online, you can let one of our hosts know by pressing the button. If you're here and, and you've never trusted in Jesus and you want to do that, you can raise your hand and let me know and we'll pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it, it's a response to what God is doing. 
If that's you, you can just pray this with me. God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I trust in Jesus. Help me to trust you as I live in light of the eternal life that has been made available to me in Jesus Christ. Amen. Love you, family.